I want to. I'm going to speak to you before I pray in just a moment. I want to speak to you uh, just pastorally about a couple things we're going to do uh, a little different. I, I realize that. Well, again, today's kind of a testimony to what I realize. Uh, many of us have faced a lot of uh, trials and difficulties, even as a church family. But yet, the Lord has carried us through all those faithfully, and I believe it's for our good and for His glory. But I also believe that I have to examine those things carefully as a pastor, as a shepherd and recognize that sometimes when we've walked through the valley, we need to have a time to step out into some fresh green grass and some fresh water to refresh us as we have went through trials. And I think that we need to probably start doing that. And today we're going to start by shifting over to a, uh, actually as rare as this is for me, I guess, uh, a topical sermon this morning, hopefully exegetically topical, uh, on biblical hope. And I want to do that to refresh your souls, refresh you for the uh, future, and, and prepare you for the future grace that God has promised us in Christ. And, and, you know, we've been feeding in the gospel of Mark for quite a while, and it's a rich place to feed, but I believe it's necessary not just for you, but for my own personal soul that we, we move out of that field for a little while, and we come back to it when the Lord permits in the future. Um, but to, today, we're going to just kind of have an intro to the intro of where we're going, and we will be moving into a series of sermons from the book of Philippians here in, at the beginning of next month. And I want to prepare us for that this morning by looking back to where the church at Philippi originated from. We'll be looking primarily this morning in Acts 16. That's where we'll be starting, and, and we'll be looking there through this text to see how the Lord granted this church hope from the very beginning that they would persevere by giving them a hopeful example and a faithful example in the Apostle Paul and his missionary work. And, and the reason I think it's very significant for us is you could not have found a harder place to plant a church than Philippi. You could not have went through worse situations than what Paul went through at the very beginning of this church plant. And so I think we can all relate to this. I think we can all relate to what Paul faced, and hopefully we can relate to what got Paul through all this, which was his hope in God's promise and his hope in God's providence. So let's, let's pray this morning as we begin to, to focus in on, on God's Word and study about hope in action this morning. Heavenly Father, today is, again, a time that we, we count as precious to us because we can, we can come together apart from the world, come together around your word with the saints, rejoicing over the truth and the hope that we have in Christ. And that hope gets us through difficulties. That hope is objective. That hope is personal. That hope is powerful. That hope is revealed in Scripture. There is substance to our hope. We are, we are confident in our hope. We, we expect you to be glorified today through the, the fellowship and the hearing and the rejoicing and the response to your word. We, we pray that, that we would truly, with Paul, rejoice even in the difficulties, knowing that our hope is in your promise to plant a church, to establish a church, and to carry a church through the work that you've called the church to do in the world. Lord, I, I do pray this morning that as we, we open your word, you would open our eyes, that you would open our understanding, that you would apply your grace to our souls, and that you would transform us and conform us into the image of Jesus for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. I pray this today in, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if a lot of you know a whole lot about the church at Philippi, and we'll really cover more of that in detail next week. But the Philippian church was built in a hostile culture with a very diverse membership. You had an independently wealthy religious woman who was the first convert. Then you move most likely to the next convert, which was a demon-possessed girl. And then the most unlikely of converts 
was a retired Roman soldier who was now a jailer who beats Paul to a pulp. And that's, that's the foundation of this church. It's quite a diverse group. It's quite a difficult ministry that Paul went into there in Philippi. But yet, Paul knew confidently that the Spirit of Christ sent him to Philippi and called him to go into the, the worst of conditions to accomplish the mission that God has called him into. And, and listen, we, we know that as a church. Ministry is difficult. We know that we are facing opposition as a church constantly when we proclaim the truth. When we, when we live in the truth, there will be opposition, there will be persecution, there will be difficulties. Yet God in His Word has promised that if we are faithful, He will provide, He will direct, and He will be glorified even through our suffering. That was Paul's hope. And Paul's hope was in action here in Philippi. If, if Paul pursued this calling in, in the face of all this opposition, I think we can too because guess, guess what? We have the same hope. We have the same spirit. We have the same truth. He, he didn't give up. He didn't give up because his hope was based on what God had provided for him in Christ and the promises that were given to him in Christ. If we don't remember that hope, if we don't remember our calling, we will give up and grow weary when difficulties come. And, and we face that as a church all the time. When you look out, and there's a congregation here of half of what it was a few months ago. That's difficult if our hope is on anything other than God's purposes. It's a little flock, but it's his flock. He took 12 and turned the world upside down. He can do glorious things in his name for his glory with clay pots. He gets all the praise. When we're weak, like Gideon's army, God gets all the glory when we win the battle, when we stand firm. You know, winning the battle is not always victory. It's sometimes just faithful obedience to the call. He's called us to be faithful. He hasn't called us to be victorious. Christ was victorious for us. We walk in obedience to our victor's call. If you look real quickly, I know you're probably already in Acts 16. Keep your finger there, but flip over real quickly to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says that biblical hope will protect our minds and move us into action. Biblical hope is based on truth, and the truth that Paul believes in moves him into battle. The reason he calls hope here a helmet of hope is because he knows it's going to be a battle and he's going to get bashed. He says this in 5.8, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, let us be serious, he says, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, put on the hope of salvation. When we go out and we're sober and we're serious, we see the battle that God puts before us to be, to be faithful in the face of opposition, the face of strife and difficulty, we need to have our minds guarded with the hope of salvation. God didn't just call you to bring you home. He calls you to make you faithful where you are until he brings you home. And we need to remember that no matter what happens in life, no matter what providential situations occur, that our hope is in God's calling. Our hope is in God's promise and provision. Remember this. One of the first promises that we find in the, in the Gospels is to Peter, and when, when Jesus says to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, upon this truth about who Jesus is as the Messiah, I will establish my church. Jesus builds his church. And then, then he bookends the Gospels, not just with, with that promise, but with the promise of, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. He builds it. He remains with us. He's faithful even when we're not. Even when we go through difficulties, he has not left us. He is with us. That's our biblical hope. Biblical hope is not a wish. It's not a, a dream of something great that may happen, maybe, it's not a wish. It has substance. It has weight because it's in Jesus. The hope that Paul speaks of here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 is biblically defined as a confident expectation. That's biblical hope. 
confident expectation. And he's confidently expecting something because his confidence, his hope is based on God. God can never fail. God's promises are always true. Yes and amen in Christ. And he is confident in that. Paul doesn't take any confidence in his own flesh, though he could have of all men. He certainly could boast in the flesh, but he didn't. He chose to boast in Christ and Him crucified. And he knew that that message drove him out into a world of opposition, and he would proclaim it in the face of that opposition no matter what the consequences were. Paul was not a fool. He was a fool for Christ, but he was no fool. He knew what he was getting into. Isn't it interesting, at the beginning of his conversion, the first good news message he gets is, this is... Go, go, go tell Paul how much he's going to suffer for my sake. This is good news, Paul. You're mine. You're going to be my ambassador. You're going to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, and you're going to suffer for it. Go. Go. In the book of Timothy, we're told that all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Your commission is not unlike Paul's. And when you're going through persecution and opposition, if your hope is not built on the rock of Christ Jesus, His purposes, His calling, and His reasoning for putting you where you're at, you will grow weary and give up. So we have to come back to this solid hope. And that's the hope that got Paul through some very gritty situations. That's what we're going to look at today. We're, we're going to see how biblical hope pushed him through the worst of situations. His, his hope was in God. His hope was in God's call. And it moved him out into difficulties and discouragement. And it moved him through that because his hope was put into action by his calling to be faithful to Jesus. We see the biblical hope put into action when Paul plants a church in Macedonia at Philippi. Biblical hope drove him to Philippi, and biblical hope protected his mind in the midst of all the trials that he faced. He had a confident expectation that God called him there to plant a church. And again, you walk into a place that's completely pagan. No one knows Jesus. No one knows the gospel. Christianity is not even recognized yet as a religion. He comes into this place full of pagans. These are pagans with power. These are pagans with authority. These are pagans who can lock you up and kill you. And yet he's going into this because the Spirit of Christ, it says in Acts 16, compelled him to go. He heard a Macedonian call. And he knew that this was God calling him. And his confidence is that God would use him or use his life in the work of declaring Jesus' worth. To live is... What Philippians says, to live is Christ. What? Die is gain. Church, we have to have that mentality. That is not just because Paul was a super saint, a super spiritual man. No, he knew what his hope was in. He knew that he had been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. He was now Christ's. And he was confident that if God calls him home through the work of the ministry, glory be to God. It will not fail. You know, when, when ministers die in the ministry, the ministry doesn't die if they've been faithful to the gospel. The blood of the saints is the seed of the church. We, we have a biblical hope. Can you imagine the saints before us? I'm way off my text already. I mean, I haven't even got into it. But can you imagine the legacy we have? Think about it. The blood of men and women and children who would not reject Jesus was shed. That blood was shed so that we could hold in our laps this morning this precious book. Do you think about the Bible that way? Well, we ought to think about the greater blood that was shed so that we have this book, which was Jesus' blood, the first martyr. This is, this is not a book to be trifled with. This is not a ministry to be neglected or to be toyed with. We are called together by the sovereign God of the universe. That's your hope. That's your confidence. 
And I expect that if we're called by the sovereign God of the universe to do His will, and He's given us His revelation, that He will accomplish His will when we are faithful to Him and put all of our confidence in what He's called us to do and go into it with reckless abandonment. We can do that because it's not just a hope-so hope. It's based on a truth. If we die in the work, He brings us home. If we live in the work, He is glorified on the earth. Paul understood that. We need to understand that when we go through just the simplest of difficulties here, when you stand firm for the gospel of Jesus and you're slandered, when you're attacked, when you're persecuted, have hope in Christ. So is He. Yet He will be vindicated. His glory will be known eventually. You're just called to be faithful and put your confidence not in the surrounding situations and the surrounding relationships, but in the full relationship you have in Christ. You know, when I preach, I wish I did this every time, but I don't. But a lot of times, I, 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 I think about who's listening, which is important. But I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about Jesus. When I preach, I want to be pleasing to Him. I think if I'm pleasing to Him, I think He'll, he'll feed you. But my hope is not in my ability to feed you. My hope is in His Word that feeds you when I preach. My hope is in His Spirit who illuminates the text. My hope is not certainly in my eloquence or anyone else's eloquence. My hope is in Jesus. And that's, that's, that's what drives me into the study. That's what drives me into ministry. That's what should drive us. He will use the weakest of vessels to praise His own name. And that should be your hope because unless you're a super saint, I don't think anyone here is, especially myself, then you have hope that even in your weakest moments, you have the Spirit of the living God abiding in you, and He will quicken you and make you faithful and bring glory to His Son. That's what biblical hope does. It drives us in the face of opposition into action. Now go with me to Acts 16. Acts 16 is one of my favorite narratives in the book of Acts. There's so much going on, so much that's uh, needed to be said, but there's not time to be said. That's what preachers say when you want to talk a whole lot about everything. But you can start at verse 1, but we're not going to do that. We're going to start in verse 16 in a few moments. Here we, we see biblical hope practically applied in Paul's missionary work at Philippi. And on your outlines, you, could, you can write this in Acts 16, 16-34. We, we see how Paul's hope, number one, prepared him for ministry. And Paul's hope, number two, proclaimed God's glory. And number three, Paul's hope protected his integrity. And number four, Paul's hope produced healing and joy. The reason that is, is because that hope was in Jesus. Jesus prepares us for ministry. Jesus prepares us to proclaim God's glory. Jesus protects our integrity. Jesus produces healing and joy in the weary. Now, instead of me reading this entire narrative in one shot, we're just going to go through a bit at a time together here. So let's, let's first begin to work through the text here in Acts 16, 16 to 21, and, and look at the first point. Paul's hope prepared him for ministry. He had this hope before he arrived, before this happened, but it says in verse 16, As we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her that very hour. But when the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, 
they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Here we, we see how biblical hope produced something magnificent in Paul. It, it, it produced a, a, a desire to exalt Christ's honor and do so with great courage in the face of opposition. Biblical hope produced Christ-exalting honor and courage. This, this could have cost him his life because now he's, he's messing with their money. And understand this, as a Jew, his life was already threatened. As a male Jew at Philippi, his, his life was already in danger. The emperor had just expelled or <laughs> exterminated most of the male Jews in this population, in this region. That's why you find Lydia there by herself, and there's no synagogue. There weren't even ten men to establish a synagogue in Philippi. The men were gone, and the men were out of the picture, and yet Paul says, I, I understand that I'm a Jew and I'm in this foreign culture, but, but I've got to exalt Christ. I've got to exalt His honor. I have to defend His name when it is slandered. And that's exactly what this young lady was doing. And, and this hope that he had in God's providence to protect him in the situation or to get him through the situation, if he would stand firm, it, it, it moved him beyond the fear of man. Because what Paul's doing here is he's defending Jesus' honor and protecting the gospel from slander. Here's this demon-possessed girl. She's possessed by what the Spirit is called a, a python or pythion. It was the, the, the supposed guardian of the, the oracles of Delphi where these spirits would, would speak these demonic utterances and this, this python would actually protect these spirits. And it says that she's full of that spirit, the spirit of the python, and she's declaring that these are the servants of the Most High God. And she is also someone who is getting paid to do this, a fortune teller. And so now she is linking arms with the Apostle Paul saying, look, we work together. But ironically, what she's saying in the Greek here is a little different than what we have in our English translations. When you see in verse 17 that she was proclaiming, that she said, these men are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. That's not what it says in the Greek. It says that she is proclaiming to you a way of salvation. A way. It's not the, the only way. She is, she is saying, this is another way for rescue. And Paul says, no, stop. I've had enough. This will end. And that hope that he had in defending Christ produced this, this courage to stand up in this face of opposition and to stand up here where he would be persecuted by these wealthy people who were making money from this girl's divination. You see there in verses 19 and 21 what happens. It says, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, what did they do? They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. See, their hope was in something other than God. Their hope was in this girl who had this spirit of divination and he was threatening their industry and so they they came after him and yet paul paul stands firm paul doesn't back away paul preached the gospel in the sense that he said here's some good news come out of her he commanded her by the authority of jesus to be set free paul stood as a witness at that point in the midst of opposition, saying that I will suffer whatever it takes to defend the name of Jesus. I'll even put my life at risk. He knew. Paul's hope was this. Paul knew that God was sovereign and that God had called him to defend the faith. Those two together are powerful. He knew that if he spoke truth in love, in love for this girl, certainly, in love for her soul, if he spoke that truth, he wasn't a fool. He knew that these men would lose their business. 
Yet he trusted in God's sovereign plan. He knew that God was sovereign not over, over his life, but also the lives of others like this young woman. Paul had, had witnessed this kind of hope, this kind of reckless abandonment of his own safety for the sake of God's calling. He had witnessed this kind of hope personally. Do you remember the story? It was, I believe, the story that was the seed of Paul's salvation. Acts 7. Acts 7, 51. It's a story of Stephen. Paul had witnessed reckless abandonment. He had witnessed hope in action, absolute confidence in God, and absolute reckless abandonment of his own life. Stephen steps forward and preaches the gospel to these Jews, knowing that he'll be charged with blasphemy and that he will be charged and put to death. In Acts 7, 51 He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, Now, don't... Don't misunderstand Stephen here. This sounds like a harsh rebuke, you stiff-necked people. I cannot imagine at, at this point of him saying this, that he was hard-hearted toward these men, that he was saying this out of spite toward them, out of anger toward them. He has just spent 50 verses almost pleading with them to come to Christ, to repent of their sins. I imagine him here in tears, crying out, you stiff-necked people. Look, this is the one. But yet in their heart, look what they, what they did when they would not submit to this revelation. Verse 54 says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. And he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. That was his hope. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. This is the only place you're going to find in the New Testament where Jesus isn't sitting on the throne. He's standing when his own child is suffering. He's standing up with the one being persecuted. That was Stephen's hope. He had not been abandoned. The Lord Jesus, the one who had suffered and bled and died, was there pleading his case about to welcome him home. That was his hope. I'm going to be faithful to the end, no matter what the opposition is. And they cried out, it says. And they came after him. In verse 56 it says, And behold, I saw the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses lay down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Saul bore witness to this. I do believe, as you read the rest of the book of Acts and Paul's testimony, he can't get over this fact. He can't get over it even in the epistles. He, he speaks about being the chief of all sinners. I mean, this, is, this was constantly in his heart and his mind. This should also be in ours. This is what biblical hope will do. It will drive you into the hardest of situations with absolute confident expectation that God will be glorified through this providential situation and His promises will be fulfilled in your obedience. I think that's what got Paul up every single day. It was biblical hope. I mean, what else gets a man out of bed knowing he's going to be stoned that day for speaking the truth? I mean, if you knew every day when you got up and you go to work, that if you talked about Jesus, you could be hung or shot. What would get you out of bed? 
it would be biblical hope that being faithful to Jesus would be worth dying for his namesake and living for his namesake. Church, hope is essential for us. Hope in God's promises to be with us in the face of opposition will give us courage to face trials that we go through personally and congregationally if we honor his name. That's what he's called us to do. He hasn't called us to be powerful. He's called us to be obedient. He's powerful. His word does not go out void. It accomplishes his purposes. And he does so through his people if we remain faithful. Even when we're not faithful, he will be faithful. Even when Paul and Mark had a falling out, God was still faithful. And at the end of Paul's life, he calls out in hope for John Mark to come and help him. Because he knows that God was doing a work in Mark's life, and God certainly did a work in Paul's life. And he'll do work in ours. Go back with me to Acts 16, 22 to 25. We can see the second point. We can see that... Paul's hope, or biblical hope, caused Paul to proclaim God's glory in the face of suffering. Hope in God will, will supersede fear. It will supersede weariness. It will help you to rejoice. Because this man was weary at this point. And his, his confident expectation was that God was in control. And that caused him to sing out and praise God in the spite of the opposition, in spite of the difficult persecution. Look what it says in 22 through 25. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the, the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Now, understand something here. There, there, there weren't any Jewish rules to restrict this beating. This was a, this was a Roman beating. This was not a kind beating. There was actually kindness in the restrictions that God gave to the Jews, or the Jews even established on their own. Here, this beating was a beating that, that was just meted out out of anger, out of justice, out of spite. These are Jews. We hate them. They messed up our city. Verse 23 says, And when they had inflicted many blows, we don't know how many, but many blows. Paul speaks about this in his own testimony in Philippians and in Corinthians. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely or confine them. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. Now, most likely, this jailer is the one who actually beat them. This jailer was the one who had all the authority over this prison. He actually lived in this prison to some degree. His his house was adjoined to the prison. His family lived with him as he served there constantly, overseeing what was going on. And when they, they put him, these, these men, after these blows, they, they dragged these men down to this inner prison. This is like a dungeon. There are three stages. This is the third stage. They're in the very center of the prison, in the very deepest, darkest place. There, they're strapped into stocks. The stocks were wood stocks. They were stretched out like this, six feet wide maybe, something like that. With multiple holes, they started you here, and each day they moved you out a little further, spread your legs a little further, spread your legs a little further to keep you in constant agony. This is where they're put. And then in verse 25, it says, about midnight. Now understand this. The beating was in the morning. This is about 12 hours later. They're beat in the morning. They're put into the stocks. They're put into the inner prison. About midnight, look what's going on. Paul and Silas were praying and singing, singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. It's an interesting point, isn't it? These men who, who spoke in the, the authoritative name of Jesus and set free the prisoner there in verse 17 are now prisoners themselves, but yet they're rejoicing in the name of Jesus though they're now imprisoned. Their souls aren't imprisoned, are they? Their souls are rejoicing. Their souls are hoping in Christ. They weren't discouraged because their minds were fixed on God's promises in Christ. 
God brought them to this city. They understood that. God put them in this situation. They understood that. They were being faithful to Jesus. It cost them persecution. They understood that. And it says they began to pray. And that means praise. They began to praise God from whom all blessings flow. They were praising God that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' sake. Hope will do that. Even when the body is racked with pain, biblical hope will produce hymns while we suffer. The crowd attacks them, but their souls were not attacked. Their bodies were racked with pain, but their hearts were rejoicing in grace. Just imagine what this would have been like. In God's providence, He puts them in the amphitheater, in the center of the prison. So when they begin to talk to one another, they recognize there's an echo, Silas. Yes, Paul. Let's praise God and evangelize this prison. They begin to sing hymns, and the whole prison gets to hear the gospel of Christ on display. These prisoners who are locked up here recognize that these men, these men are here because of what they believe, not because of robbery or something else or murder, they're here because of their faith. And, and these men, they don't serve a God like the gods we serve who leave us. They're saying their, their God is with them. Can you imagine Paul's prayers? I mean, you can read Paul's prayers. And he, he speaks about to live as Christ, to die as gain. He, he speaks about knowing, knowing for certain that Christ loves us. He knows these things. He, he speaks about all things working together for good to those who love God and who are called according to His purposes. That's what they're singing about. That's what they're praising God about. That's what they're rejoicing in here. There's, a, there's an interesting point there in verse 25. This, this hope that they had produced this praise, this praise of hymns in their hearts while they suffered, but it also produced a glorious echo in that prison. Now remember... This, this is written by Dr. Luke, the physician. Luke uses a very interesting word for listening here in the Greek. It's the Greek word that's used to describe what a doctor does when he listens to your chest for ailments. He leans in with his ear and he presses it against your organs to hear the bodily functions. That's what he says the prisoners were doing. When they heard about the hope of Paul and Silas, these prisoners were leaning in with their ears to understand what was really going on inside these men. That's what's happening here. They're looking in going, wait a minute, they're, they're being crushed, they're being persecuted, they're being forsaken, and they're singing about God's grace and mercy and love and peace. And saints, that's, that's the song that we can sing because we have the same hope in God when we go through suffering and trials. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 about this. 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We'll begin at verse 7, actually, to 18. Paul writing here says, but we have this treasure, speaking of the, the gospel, speaking of the revelation of God's grace toward us. We have this treasure in jars of clay, clay pots, broken, cheap, insignificant pots. That's us. He, he puts the treasure, this glorious treasure, in something that doesn't look so hot. Why? So that when we were in that prison, people are leaning in, listening, saying, I don't get it, but I want it. He says, so that the surpassing power the power that was flowing out of those men and they sang those songs and praised God. This power belongs to God and not to us. And then he says this. And he says this from experience, the experience of Acts 16. We are afflicted in every way. Now when Paul says this, he means physically and spiritually. Then he says this, and you need to circle this every time this is mentioned in the next two verses. We are afflicted in every way, but not, but not crushed. Perplexed, 
but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. That's Paul. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then, then look what he says. Look what he recognizes that his hope is in. His hope is in what God was going to do, even through his death and persecution, and even through this affliction and perplexity and all the things that happened. He says, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That's what's happening in Acts 16. That inner prison was the place you went to be executed. It was for the worst of criminals. You were going there to die. Paul says, I'm going out with a shout. I'm going out declaring Jesus. And saints, that, that's what we need to be thinking about. Listen, we, we don't know when we're going out. You may be going out today. I may be preaching your funeral next week. Don't you want to go out declaring the glorious work of Christ? Rejoicing in your hope? Listen, listen, we do this joyfully and fearfully because we know that we are dying men speaking to dying men who may never hear us again. That's what Paul knew. Paul knew that. See, your kids, your spouse, yourself, you're dying. This may be the last time you get to declare the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ out of thanksgiving and joy in your heart. He says this in verse 11, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Here's why. He says, this is why, this is why we go through what we go through. This is why we go through opposition and, and persecution and difficulties so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. When we go through difficulties and we respond with praise and adoration and faithfulness, it is to manifest the power of Jesus in us. He says, so death, death is at work in us. It's working for good in us. We recognize our mortality. We recognize that in the face of difficulty, when we respond biblically, it's Jesus at work. And that means life to you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. That, that, that's His hope. See, that's what caused Him to go through affliction and perplexity and persecution and being struck down and carrying death around in His body. He knew that this life doesn't cease when our bodies die. For the believer, death is not death. It is an entering in to biblical hope. It's a confident expectation that we will stand before our Savior who died for our sins. And if we'll be confident about that, we will be confident in the way we live our life in His name. In verse 15, he says, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's why we go through these things. That's why we remain faithful in our hope of Christ in the face of opposition, is to glorify, magnify, exalt the name of our God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Even though you're, you're being attacked spiritually, attacked even physically with either discouragement or false accusations or slander or any other means of discouraging words, even though it feels like your outer man is wasting away, and it is, if you have hope in Christ and His promises, you will be renewed day by day. And you will see in the strife God weaning you away from this world and making you cling tightly to Jesus, who is your hope. He says in verse 17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. <laughs> okay, Paul, 
All right, if, if this is what he calls light momentary affliction, what do we call ours? I mean, this is the man who was stoned to death, gets back up and says, I've got to complete my mission. He says, I can't compare this. I can't compare that suffering to the eternal hope, the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen. Here's biblical hope, confident expectation. But I look to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, temporal. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Church, that's our hope. Our hope is in the things that are eternal. This life and the situations are transient. We need to remain faithful in light of the eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison that we are going to receive and be a part of forever. Listen, life is hard. The Christian life is harder. We're, we're up against everything in this world. The flesh, the devil... The world, its system. And if we don't have our confident assurance and expectation built upon this eternal truth of God's promises in Christ and His resurrection power, we will give up. We will not praise Him. We will not rejoice in Jesus. We will just drag our feet through this life as Christians, just barely getting by, thinking, well, this is what the purpose of the Christian life is, is to persevere to the end. Paul persevered to the end. But he did so as a drink offering being poured out, a sacrifice. He says, I'm going out. I'm going out no matter what, right? I mean, we're all dying. Let's go out as a sacrifice. Let's go out as a sweet aroma to God. Let's go out. Let's go out as living sacrifices being conformed to the image of Christ. Let's go out so that when we die, people say, yeah, he was a great guy, but you know what I like most about this guy or girl? What they said about Jesus. You know, they didn't have much in this life. They went through all kinds of hardships and ailments and problems. But you know what? They, they had this praise on their lips coming out of them that God was worthy of our life and of our death. That's what Paul understood there in Acts 16. That's why they could sing hymns while suffering. I mean, can you sing hymns while you suffer? From the heart. Are you, are you confident? Are you confident in God's promise that says He would never leave you? He would never forsake you. He would always be with you and others will hear Him working through you. He chose you to be ambassadors. Ambassadors not of just the message, but of the relationship you have with Him the hope you have that you are united to God through Christ. Go back with me to Acts 16, 26 through 28. Here we see that Paul's hope also protected his integrity. Acts 16, 26 to 28 talks about how biblical hope produces heroes with integrity. Biblical hope will cause men and women and girls and boys to do things at the cost of their own life for the glory of the message and the one in whom they speak about, which is Jesus. They'll do so with integrity. Could you imagine in this situation, as Paul is, is exhibiting authority and, and singing praises to God, that if he compromised at this point, his message would be diluted. But instead... He remains faithful at a point of what I would call a temptation. I know what I would do in this situation. It's probably what you would do, but it's not what Paul did. When, when what happens next occurs, I would, uh, I would, just let me tell you this, I would run. Apart from God's grace keeping me there. Paul doesn't run. He remains faithful to his message that he is called to be a messenger of God and speak the truth in love to a lost and dying world, even if it's going to cost him more imprisonment. Look what it says. Verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. They were in this prison, right? They were in the prison. 
And suddenly there's a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. All right, that's when I run. Right? God, open the door. God, oh, there's my hope. There's my hope. My hope is in my temporal circumstances. God got me out of this. God wants me to be happy. He wants my best life now. Right? See, he opened the door. It's a miracle. Right? So run. Come on, Silas. That's not what happens. Paul sought the glory of God more than his own freedom. Paul loved others more than himself. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, the Roman soldier would receive the penalty of the people that escaped if he did not keep them in the prison. Those in the innermost prison were going to be executed, therefore the soldier would be executed. He wasn't afraid of dying, though, obviously, right? He's going to kill himself. It wasn't death that the Roman soldier was afraid of. In his pantheon of, of gods, though, he believed that there were certain kinds of death that were noble and certain kinds that were shameful. And they actually taught that suicide was noble because you're choosing to do it yourself before you're disgraced. So he's kind of hoping that if he kills himself, it'll look like either somebody else did it or that he did it before it all happened, before they escaped. This man was lost. This man's soul was distorted by his religion. And the reason Paul is there is to declare that this man can find hope in Jesus. Paul doesn't run. Paul proclaims. It says, And Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. All right, this is most likely the man who harmed Paul. The biblical hope Biblical hope gives you the bravery that's necessary to be a man of integrity, to stand there and reach out, because you've been proclaiming that the, the God I serve is the God who sets prisoners free. The God I serve is one who loves sinners. The God I serve is working all these things together for a glorious purpose. And most likely, this man knew all about Paul's testimony because he's locked up, right? He's locked up because of this, this setting free of this slave girl who was demon-possessed, and he was saying he had authority from God to do this, and so I'm sure that the jailer understood that this guy represents one of the gods. This guy has a god on his side. And Paul, Paul knew this. Paul knew that this man heard his testimony, and, and Paul knew that this man was obviously aware that something supernatural was going on. The whole ground was shaking. The bonds were loose of all the men, and the greater miracle is the rest of the prisoners are still there. No one's gone. What's up with that? God's love is what's up with that. God's love for that jailer is what's up with that. Well, let that be your hope. Let that be your hope that in providential circumstances when nothing goes right, it might not be about you. It might be that you're in that situation for the glory of God and the salvation of sinners if you consider them as more important than yourself. I think this is where Paul through the Holy Spirit, is inspired to write what he writes in Philippians 2 when he talks about considering others as more important than ourselves. Paul acts like the hero here. He cries out to this man who abused him. In verse 29, it says, And the jailer called for the lights. It's pitch black, right? It's midnight. And rushed in and trembling with fear and fell down, it says, before Paul and Silas. Here is a Roman soldier trembling, not because he's afraid of Paul and Silas, He's afraid of the God that they represent. These, this, these men represent this God who had authority over demons. This man represents a, a God who has authority over nature. And this man and his, his pagan beliefs, he knows that these men are significant. And he's afraid. And he falls down before these men, trembling. Again, he's not afraid of dying. That's not his fear. He has the fear of the soul. His innermost being is crying out for help. In verse 30, it says, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Well, here's, here's where the hero speaks up. Here's where the hero represents the greater hero, which is Jesus. 
This is where the hero is Jesus because he says, you want to know what to do to be saved, to be rescued, to be set free from this fear and from this, this imminent death that you face? And facing God as your judge, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And it says, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were with or were in his house. This, this fearful joy that Paul had actually gave him this great integrity that planted him firmly in the face of a man who had beaten him, had imprisoned him, and had basically the authority over him to cast him back into that prison. And then Paul turns around and says the very same thing that got him thrown in there in the first place. Believe in Jesus. And then he goes on, it says, to explain these things to him. He explained what he meant by Jesus. He explained what he meant by believe. He uses the word of God. He preaches to them. He declares it to them. But remember this. He's still there with this guard, this jailer. The dawn's going to come. But instead of considering himself as more important than the jailer or his own freedom and comfort as more important than the jailer's freedom and comfort, Paul stands with integrity because of his hope that God placed him there to preach the gospel to one sinner. And through that, that sinner rejoiced. Through that, that sinner was healed. That's what we go on to see in Acts 16, 29-34, we see the glorious result of biblical hope here. We see that it produced healing and joy, not just, get this, not just in the jailer. It produced healing and joy in the proclaimer. Look what happens. In verse, again, let me, let me go on back to verse uh, 30. And he brought him, them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. I mean, could, you, could you not see a more evident picture of the power of the gospel than to see the repentance of this jailer in this moment? Paul washes him in the word, the word about Christ. The jailer repents and believes and washes the wounds of his messenger. Biblical hope kept Paul's mind fixed on his purpose, on God's promises, and brought him through this imprisonment, brought him through these circumstances to testify to the glory of God that Jesus saves. And the evidence is here. He was baptized at once. He and his, all his family, after repentance, after faith, he immediately is obedient. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. You know what just happened there? The jailer just put himself in danger. The jailer just said that my hope in Jesus is worth imprisonment in my own prison. He's taking these men into his home, risking everything to rejoice in the hope that he has now in Christ. Church, that, that is what should cause us to move out in the face of our opposition and persecution and struggling. We know that it is worth, it is worth all of this so that we can hold forth the name of Christ, so that we can rejoice over the gospel we've been given. And that's what he does here. He says, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Wow, this guy, this guy was reformed. This guy actually says, I am amazed because I believe in God. I couldn't have done that a few moments ago. But by God's grace and his irresistible grace at that, he brought a messenger to Philippi to be imprisoned for the name of Christ so that I could believe in God. Biblical hope drove Paul into this ministry. Let me encourage you this morning. You have the same hope as Paul. Our hope in Christ brought us together by God's grace into this church, this church family. 
And my, my confident expectation for you is that, number one, He will fill you with courage in the face of danger as you grow in His Word. And number two, my confident expectation is that He will fill us with joy even in times of trials as we meditate on His promises. And thirdly, my confident expectation is that He will cause us to comfort others above ourselves as we apply the word of truth that heals those who are weary. We see their needs above our own. My confident expectation for you as a church is that God will drive us to live out our lives in hope that we will be used to share His Word with the lost, no matter what the circumstances. Our hope in God's promise, church, His promise and His plan and His providence, our hope in God that He will use us to heal the nations, <laughs> that, should, that should joyfully compel and propel us to step out in faith and proclaim the gospel, live for the gospel, declare the gospel, love the gospel with a confident expectation that God's word will not come back void. He will be glorified. We will be edified. And sinners will be evangelized. That is our confident expectation as a church. Listen, when we go through the trials, when we go through the suffering, it is to cause us to trust in our hope and not in our own strength. And as we do that, the world sees something very unique. They see somebody in some church that actually looks like they believe this book because there's hope not in our situation, but there's hope in the providential God who brought us into the situation. He will be with us through it. And church, I just want to encourage you to remember the hope that drove Paul through all this is the same hope we have same hope you possess by God's grace. We can rejoice even when times are tough, knowing that God may open the heart of a jailer to our persecution. Let's pray that God will be glorified as we apply that today. Jesus, we, we come to you. We come to you because you first and foremost came to us. And you came to us to transform us by your spirit, by your word, so that we could glorify the name of God through our lives, through our ministry, through our relationships. We pray that this day we would have that biblical hope that we have in you renewed by your spirit. We pray that your word would quicken our hearts and our feet to do your will. We pray, God, that, that your word would, would be on our lips constantly as we have eyes to see the opportunities that you, you place us into so that we can declare the wonderful, glorious gospel of Christ. I pray that we would not grow weary in doing good when we suffer. I do pray, God, that as we suffer for your sake, that we will be faithful to the end and that you will use our suffering for the glory of your name. Lord, let us decrease, let us be forgotten, but let Christ increase and never be forgotten. I pray, I pray that for our church, for all churches who love the Lord Jesus. I pray in His name. Amen.
I tried hard. 